I think every song I've ever listened to must be about someone. Or if it's not, I've made it about someone just by listening to it. This is Dearest. I'm Claire Brennan. Who among us hasn't made a mixtape for someone? Either a playlist or a cassette tape, the sentiment remains the same. In the act of sharing it with them, we silently ask them to piece it together. We hope they'll understand why that song with that lyric made the cut. That they'll remember that this one was playing on the radio that one night. We hope they'll understand the importance of it all. Throughout the history of music, writing, and art, we've relied on the idea of the muse. The source of our inspiration, the person that sparks our creativity. They are the drive that gets us from concept to the final product. And there's something romantic about the idea of an artist wrapped up in their muse. They're obsessed with capturing whatever has been stirred within them into art, into something permanent. There's a problem in that, though. Suddenly, the subject isn't a person anymore. Their story is now being told by someone else. Oftentimes, art made about someone says more about the artist than the muse. Every letter sent into Dearest wrestles with this. While the subject of each letter might be the focus, we end up learning more about its writer. We might not know exactly what happened in any of these stories, but then again, we might not care. Why they chose to write it in the first place is what really matters. Good art isn't always honest, but it's always true. This week, you'll hear a poet wonder if she's the subject of a song, a thank you note to a foreign friend, and a new definition for a toxic relationship. So here we go. To that Belgian exchange student who went to my school for a few weeks, you're the best thing that ever happened in all of high school. You told me you liked my outfit, and five minutes later you gave me your Tumblr and added me on Facebook. I'd been sitting alone every break, reading or writing, and now suddenly I had company. I'll never forget when we went to the museum, and you didn't even mind me acting like an overexcited five-year-old, babbling on and on about everything I love there. I felt like I truly found a friend. And even though you're all the way back home now, for, for half a year, you really made everything feel so much better. Thank you. I've been told many times I should forgive you, that forgiving you would help me heal, help me get over the years of emotional abuse. I've been told I should still love you no matter what. The thing is, I really don't need to. I've come to terms with the weight you've left me with, the burden I carry with me everywhere I go. I've found people who love me for me. I've got an amazing fiance who makes me feel secure and safe and loved. I've even been able to start to love myself. I am much more stable now that you aren't in my life as much. I don't need to forgive the things you refuse to acknowledge that you've done to heal. I'm on a long road now, one that's going to lead me to be a better person. I hope you're trying to do the same. Hey, best friend. I've known you since we were 12, since we were awkward middle schoolers just trying to carve out a place in the world. I thought you were incredible, with your Legend of Zelda t-shirts and dyed hair. (laughs) When I saw you walking around the school, I didn't even know you yet, but I knew I wanted to be your friend. 
It took me a couple months after we met for me to realize I was in love with you. I never told you this. I don't think I ever will. It shaped our friendship more than you might know. I wanted you to like me more than anything, but you were straight and I was trying to convince myself that I was too. So I held my tongue. Even when I wanted to say how beautiful your eighth grade graduation dress was, when you said you thought no one would ever want to date you, when I wanted to ask you to the prom. Seven years went by. Seven years of silence, of love and laughter and friendship. Of whispering, I love you, when I dropped you off at your house and you gave me a little wave back to my car. Seven years of knowing that you were the best friend I would ever have, and I wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize that. And when our guy friend asked you to the prom, then left you during the dance, I was furious for you, so angry he did that. And yet it meant that I got to dance with you during the slow dance. This is one of the happiest moments of my life, despite the secondhand anger. Shout out to our mutual friend for nudging you in my direction, by the way. She's known me since the first grade and was the only one who ever figured it out. Her knowledge helped. I was mortified at first, but keeping that secret inside was eating me alive. I almost told you once. The day you left for college, the school across the entire country from mine, I wanted to tell you. I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, but I bit my tongue and wished you good luck was happy for you when you found a boyfriend in New York, was supportive and helpful and dying inside. But it was better that I say nothing, because your friendship was the most important thing in my life. And it's probably good that I never told you. That first year of college, I guess the romantic love faded with separation. You're still my best friend. I still love you. But I don't have a crush on you anymore. And that was so hard to adapt to. I've known you for seven years, been your friend for seven years. This shouldn't be so weird, but in those seven years, I'd never not been in love with you. I didn't know what to do, how to react. If I seem more distant for a bit, that's why. I guess I could tell you now, now that it's no longer relevant. That crush shaped our friendship and... I don't want you to go back and re-examine our every interaction. I don't want to make things weird. Maybe you'll hear this. I don't think you could tell for sure that it's from me, but maybe. If that happens, I'll deal with it when it comes. I love you, best friend, and you know that. But I used to be in love with you. Dear... This isn't the first letter I've written to you. You know this. We've been back and forth for a couple years now. But this is the first you won't read. I wrote one to you a month ago. You wrote one back. They were both pretty bland, impersonal, vague, an attempt at holding on at best. I didn't say anything I wanted to. I couldn't. I guess you can consider this everything I could never say to your face. You're such a beautiful person. I know I've told you that before, but it bears repeating. I never understood how you could be so nice to everyone, so supportive to all your friends, despite everything else you had to deal with in your life and at home. You let me talk to you, and in return, you offered advice, anecdotes, and your own stories. I loved hearing you talk. Maybe that's why I fell so hard. 
you're so sincere and kind. I think I just looked at you and I figured that's what love was. No matter that we were close friends, we touched and hugged. But every time you wrote to me or told me that you loved me, it felt like I was on the receiving end of a punchline to a joke I didn't get. I stayed like that. We stayed like that for a few years. You kept telling me I was one of your favorite people, but I couldn't see it. We barely talked. You had other closer friends that you actually did stuff with. (laughs) You had a girlfriend. Maybe you can imagine how I felt going through all that. Yeah, I was probably being petty. The easiest thing to do would have been to let go. But every time I tried to, every time I thought I had cracked the code on my own feelings, every time we hadn't talked in months and I had it in my head that it was finally done, you came back around. You'd text me or write me, telling me about how sorry you were that we hadn't talked and that you missed me and and that it would be better this year. It would be for a little bit. And then, like clockwork, we would lose interest and go weeks with limited contact, (laughs) a shared class not even providing an avenue for relation. One might define a toxic relationship as one that leaves you drained, alone, even anxious. This can apply to any relationship, personal, romantic, even business. They can start from anything, from the strongest of foundations. I think that's what we ended up having. But but I'm, I'm not blaming you. It takes two people to have a relationship, toxic or not. We built this together, and we watched it rot, occasionally trying to patch up holes and refinish the whole thing. I hated it the entire time. I hated myself for letting it happen. Hated circumstances for placing us in the same room that one day. But I I never hated you. I love you still. Right now as I'm writing this, I'm, I'm still trying to let go. But I think that's what you're supposed to do with a toxic relationship. Let it go. So that's what I need to do what I've been trying to do for the past three years. But I'm I'm ready to really do it. The past year, I've overanalyzed everything, every conversation, little details, you as a person. And I figured out that I'd be cool living without it. So here we are. <laughs> I'm still too afraid to actually say it to your face. I'm getting it out. Maybe I'm being hypocritical, two-faced even, but, but I mean this next bit sincerely. Thank you, if anything, for making me a stronger, better person. I'll try to keep you in good memory, but this won't happen again. I know how I felt, and I know I will never put up with a friendship like the one we had. Nevertheless, I will always hope the best for you. I hope that life treats you well and that you find love and friendship in all the right places. I hope you always have enough. I also hope that you can find it within yourself to let me go. Understand that this is what I need to do. Love always. Dear... Friend, 
Here I am again. I've already written countless letters to you. Letters I've never sent and could never send. I write these letters in my head on late nights when I've had one too many drinks and one too many bouts of loneliness. It's hard explaining to others that you can still be lonely when you're not alone. Though I've found myself in this oxymoronic situation where I am both alone and not alone. And when these letters are not in my head, they're in my poetry. They're in the countless love poems I write to you, for you, about you. On bright Sunday mornings when I feel close to God and close to you, but far from you, I find myself drawn to pen and paper and try to write you back into my life. And when these letters are not in my head, they're in the notes in my phone. They're in my drawings. They're in my songs. They're in my stories. They're in the clothes I choose to wear. They're in the way I style my hair. They're in my memories, woven into the fabric of my mind. Okay, dear friend, dear stranger, why am I writing this letter to you? Why am I writing this letter years after our thing ended? When we've both clearly moved on? Well, for one, unconfessed love never dies. It festers and grows like cancer. That's why I'm writing this letter now, years after our thing ended. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to know how you feel about me. I want to let you know. I want to let this love go. Enough of my stalling. Here is the actual letter. I loved you. I loved you the first moment I met you, when you were in the back of the room speaking in a British accent. You weren't British and it took me about three weeks too long to realize that. <laughs> I loved you when I was dating that other guy, that guy that was mean to me and made fun of my hair. I loved that you were happy when that guy and I broke up. When I bought new earrings and dyed my hair, hoping that my external transformation would start the internal transformation I so desperately wanted. I loved that you noticed. I loved the way my name fell off your lips as you looked me down, then up and said, looking good. I loved you when you asked me to the movies, some strange documentary on fishing in America. <laughs> I loved that you were wearing a shirt patterned by fish when you asked me that. I loved that you concealed your disappointment when I said I couldn't go. I loved how you still asked me to a concert later that week. I loved that we went. I loved that you promised me ice cream and unicorns. I loved showing people your music. I loved that I thought you would take me to the Grammys one day. I loved that your room smelled like scented oil. I loved that we made out and made love. I hate that I used the phrase made love, but... I loved that you weren't very good. I loved that you told me to slow down when we kissed. I loved that when my lips left your lips, my name fell off your lips again. I loved that you kissed me before I left. I loved that I was sore. And yes, there's still more. 
I love that you loved my imagination. I, I loved that we came up with stupid movie ideas when you were high. I loved that you looked into my eyes and asked me what color they are. I didn't know and you couldn't figure it out either. I love that you wanted to write music to my poetry. But I could never tell you how I felt about you. I mean, not really. I could write, but I couldn't communicate. You were in your own head. I thought that you were done, so I left before you could leave me. I left before I could tell you how much you meant to me. I left, and now I cannot tell you how much you still mean to me. How much you helped me grow up. Well, in my defense, I never knew how you felt about me. I mean, not really. And it made me feel crazy. And I still feel crazy for thinking about you as much as I do. A few months, six years ago? I should be over that. And here I am. Still writing letters to you. This one is almost through. But I still have one question for you. Why did you write that song? Track nine on your new album. The one whose title is one letter away from my name. Close enough to make me wonder, but there's that one extra letter to make me feel silly for thinking the song was about me. It's the shortest one. 42 seconds long. The one where the harmony and the melody never quite meet up. You know disconnected. The one where the melody ends before the song is done. The one where the harmony trickles off and the song just stops. The one that feels unfinished. You have no words in that song. Dear friend, what's the song about? Is it about me? Anyways, I cried the first time I heard it. I think about it all the time. I don't talk about it to my old friends because they'll think that I'm crazy. I try to explain it to my new friends, but how do you explain a feeling or like an energy between two people to someone you don't really know? There are no words. I explained that our thing felt like this song. You wanted to write music to my poetry. The voices you heard on today's episode were those of Ari Thompson, Tina Munoz-Pandia, Alex Goodman, Emily Shimsky, and Kathleen Neiman. Dearest relies totally on our listeners' letters, so send us yours. You can email us at dearestpodcast at gmail.com or submit at dearestpodcast.com, where you can also find out more about us, our live events, and sign up for our newsletter. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dearest Podcast. This podcast is produced in Chicago, Illinois by me, Claire Brennan, and Sarah Hurd. We'd like to thank the composer of this episode's music, Chris Day, our graphic and social team of Dom Kindler, Sarah Barnett, and Monami Maxted, and you, dearest listener. Thanks for listening.